Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your graciousness. Help us to understand what was written here and how it benefits our lives and how it praises and gives glory to your name. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're in Genesis chapter 17. And the first part of Genesis essentially talks about how God, a good, loving, perfect God, has created a good, a very good world. But his people continue to rebel against God. And it separates that relationship, it breaks that relationship. And generation after generation, people are rebelling against God, rebelling against each other, they're killing each other. They're stealing from each other. They're lying to each other. And the spiral continues. And God, he thinks humanity, everything they think is just evil. I'm going I'm to restart. And so he sends this great flood and he saves this family, Noah's family, and the ark and sends animals into this ark and the world is flooded and the world is destroyed. And through Noah's family, God is trying to bring a new generation that follows him. And so that's the first part of Genesis. It's this downward spiral, this continuous rebellion. Until you get to chapter 12. And you're introduced to this man, Abram. And Abram, God makes this promise to Abram and says that through you, I'm going to bless the world. I'm going to give you a land and descendants as numerous as the stars. And through you, God is essentially saying to Abram, I'm going to restore the world to the way it was, where God and his people walked together, and they talked together, and it was very good. And so we're just now in in chapter 17, we're learning a little bit more about Abram's relationship with God, what it means for us, what it means for our world. And this was the promise that he made in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram, he's quite aged. In chapter 17, we're told that he's 99 years old. He has a 13-year-old son. He's he's a teenager at 99. It's complicated. But in the back of Abram's mind, there's this promise. You said, God, that I I was going to have these descendants. And 13 years have passed. I have have Ishmael, and I actually had this son through my wife's servant, And there's this rising tension within Abram. And he must be losing hope. So we're in chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you. Covenant is a promise. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. So what's going on here? God 
introduces himself with a new name, El Shaddai. And it means God Almighty. He's calling himself by a new name, El Shaddai. This is the very first time that God refers to himself as El Shaddai. This name is telling us something about God's character. El Shaddai, Almighty God, signifies God's power. He is all-powerful. That word is omnipotence. He is omnipotent. He is totally sovereign, which means he controls everything. He is God Almighty. He's omnipotent. He is sovereign. God Almighty can do anything. I am El Shaddai, God says for the first time in Genesis 17. And whenever you see this word, God Almighty, or in the original Hebrew, El Shaddai, it always appears when God makes a promise about descendants. So whenever you see El Shaddai in, in Genesis, it always is linked to God's promise of descendants. So for example, chapter 28, verse 3, it says, May God Almighty, El Shaddai, bless you and give you many children, and may your descendants multiply and become many nations. Chapter 35 in Genesis, verse 11, Then God said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants. Chapter 48, verses 3 and 4, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, El Shaddai appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply your descendants. I will make you a multitude of nations. I will give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. When God said his name is El Shaddai, he is declaring, I am able to fulfill the awesome promises that I have told you, to give you descendants and land. He says in, in, verse, in verse 2 of this chapter, chapter 17, I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. God is saying, you can trust me because I am El Shaddai. I am all-powerful. Therefore, Abram, do not lose hope. Do not despair. Do not grow weary or impatient. Do not try to fulfill my promise by your own strength. Everything, Abram, all your life, all your future, lies in this statement. I am God Almighty. Do you believe this, Abraham? Abram? This belief, this truth, transforms your life. Do you believe this, dear Christian? If you sit here as a believer, you've placed your faith in Jesus, He's transformed you, do you believe that God is almighty? Because the way we live is determined by what we think about God. I'm going to say that again. The way we live, everything that we do, is determined by what we think about God. Because what you truly believe about God is the most important question and aspect of your life. 
if our God, if we see him as El Shaddai, God Almighty, that he is awesome, that he is unstoppable, he is the unstoppable Almighty God of the universe, then our lives will reflect this belief. It makes us bold. It makes us courageous. It makes us fearless. If you think God is almighty, then you will be bold in sharing your faith. You will be courageous in prayer, knowing that he is the one, the almighty one that answers it. You will be hopeful in difficult times. But if you think God is powerless, you won't trust him. You won't tell your friends about him. You won't bother to pray to him. If you think he's your genie, you're going to abandon him when life is hard. If we think God is our insurance policy to go to heaven, it just won't change the way we live. Because we think we know God, we don't need to do anything otherwise. Or maybe you're not a Christian and you don't believe in God at all then obviously your life will reflect that. You won't be going to church. You won't be reading the Bible. But perhaps you're, you're at this point right now where you're questioning. You have a lot of questions you want to know. Again, I'd love to talk to you, but consider what Genesis teaches us. Continue to listen. God tells us he is almighty. He is El Shaddai. And we can trust that. So we learn something about God's character from him revealing this new name to us. And now he changes Abram's name. Verse 3. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. So this is kind of a bizarre thing. We'll pause here. He fell face down on the ground. The idea is that he is so amazed by who God is he, he just falls to the ground in, in amazement. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. That's what Abraham means. In the original Hebrew, Abraham means father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. So he changes Abraham's name or Abram's name to Abraham. He also changes Abram's wife's name, Sarai, to Sarah. We read in verse 15, Then God said to Abraham regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. So God is giving them new names. And, and why is this? Why, why would you do this? So during this ancient time, if you were to change someone's name, it reflected a change in status, role, or function. So it wasn't just a frivolous thing. Like I heard someone in, in the States who wanted to change his name to Optimus Prime. And if you're not familiar with Optimus Prime, it's a cartoon transformer. He's a leader. He just, I just want to change my name. I don't like Carl. I like Optimus Prime. It's, it's not like that. This has way more significance. Abram was renamed Abraham father of a multitude. Sarai was renamed Sarah. And throughout the Bible, name-giving symbolizes a transformation of a character and destiny. Someone put it this way. 
Bible scholar. In the psychology of the ancient Near Eastern world, so during this time, a name was not merely a convenient means of identification, but ultimately and intimately bound up with every essence of being and inextricably intertwined with personality. So what he's saying is that your name is, is intimately woven into your life. And so sometimes when you name your children, say, there's some meaning behind that. So when I named my daughter Emerald, there actually was no meaning behind that. We were just in the kitchen and we looked up a hundred names and I liked Emerald and we just called her Emerald. But in Hebrew times, it was significant. God changed their names. They didn't personally change their names, which happens today, and maybe you've done that. Maybe you go by a nickname. For example, does anyone know who this person is? Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanotta. Does anyone know who that is? That's the real name of Lady Gaga. Does anyone know who Reginald Kenneth Dwight is? That's Elton John. How about Mark Vincent? Vin Diesel. If you don't know these people, maybe you can Google them. You can ask me after. How about Norma Jean Mortensen? It's Marilyn Monroe. How about Karen Elaine Johnson? Whoopi Goldberg. How about Destiny Hope? Destiny Hope changed name to Miley Cyrus. How about Jennifer Lynn Anastaskis? It's Jennifer Aniston. So these people changed their names because they didn't really think that their current name would be so good in Hollywood. But this is not what's happening. Nor is this like me saying to somebody here, like, hey, come up here. What's your name? Kyle? I don't like Kyle. It is now Oswald. <laughs> Sit down. Neil, you come up. Sharon? Sharon, is it? It's now... Katie, Katie Jr., the third Esquire, <laughs> go sit down. So that's, that's, not what's, that's not what's happening here. God is saying something and changing their names. So when God transformed Abram's name to Abraham, father of multitude, it was saying something about his destiny, his character, and his promise on Abram. And so now his name is Abraham, father of a multitude. That's what his name means. So you can imagine... If Abram's walking around, he's like, hey, father of a multitude, what's for supper? Hey, father of a multitude, where should I go today? Hey. So the people are reminded of this promise every time they mention Abraham's name. They're reminded of God's promise. This was the effect. This is what God was doing. And God, or Genesis continues in verse 7. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever. I will be their God. That is an incredible promise that the creator God, El Shaddai, almighty God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will protect you. I will make sure I fulfill the promise. I will watch over you. I will keep you. I will hold you. 
I will love you. And this is the confidence that the people of the Old Testament, they would trust in, that he is their God and I will be their people. Us, humans, follow God. This echoes throughout the entire Old Testament. I will be your God and you will be my people. That is an incredible promise that they rest in. We continue in verse 9. Then God said to Abraham, your, responsible, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant. This is the promise that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. Before I explain that, we're going to just keep going. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised. On the eighth day after his birth, this applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. Does anyone not know what circumcision is? I'm just going to... It's not just the foreskin of like your fingers. We're talking the, the foreskin of your penis is cut off. To be clear, moving on. Does this apply today? If you're a male, do you need to be circumcised to be in God's family? So this is a sign of the promise, circumcision. And at this point, covenants were always sealed with blood. And so this was fitting. But it's, it's also notable that the Hebrews did not invent circumcision. That circumcision actually existed thousands of years prior to this. But at this point, it has a new meaning. They found Egyptian artifacts that, um, that were written thousands of years before this time um, that, that depict circumcision and that talk about it. So the Hebrews didn't invent it. I'm not sure Egyptians did, but it was practiced thousands of years prior to this. So circumcision, it distinguished who believed in God's promise and those who did not. So if you are part of the promise, then you must be circumcised. Every Hebrew male from Abraham to later we'll read Isaac and to Moses and to Jesus himself underwent the operation. Every instance symbolized God's everlasting and permanent covenant. So this was a, it was a costly mark. It wasn't like cut off a piece of your hair and now you're part of the team. No, this is a permanent symbol. It's an outward mark of an inward truth. You are part of God's family and this is how you are part of this promise by this sign. So circumcision, it, it functioned like a wedding ring. Like the, the covenant between a male and female in a marriage promise. It was like a wedding ring. But the difference is, I can throw this ring away. You can't really reverse circumcision. You can now with technology, but you couldn't then. So it was this external sign. 
that it signified a whole life commitment. I'm all in. It was permanent. God is confirming his almighty power to Abraham. And he's saying, this is what you need to do. You need to do this even when you doubt. We read on in verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, Regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. The king of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, May Ishmael, his current son, his 13-year-old, live under your special blessing. But God replied, No, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes and he will make a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. When God had finished speaking, he left Abraham. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and every male in his household, including those born there and those he had bought. Then he circumcised them, cutting off their foreskins, just as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and Ishmael, his son, was 13. Both Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised on that day, along with all the other men and the boys of the household. Whether they were born there or brought as servants, all were circumcised with him. Abraham believed, and he acted on his belief in the promises of Almighty God, El Shaddai. He went from disbelief to making a decision. God's fulfillment of his promise to Abraham to give him land and descendants and to be a global blessing is the story of the entire Bible. That we read this promise God makes to Abraham. How is this going to be fulfilled? You read the whole Bible, this is that one story. Both in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and in the New Testament, the New Covenant. Abraham's bloodline, God promised, you were going to have descendants as numerous as the stars through Isaac, and through him, kings are going to come. And they, through your bloodline, will bless the world. And Abraham's bloodline eventually leads to this man, Jesus Christ, through whom God uses to bless the world and save rebels like us. God promised kings, many descendants. If you go back to verse 6, I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. As you read through the Bible, there are kings. Kings come. 
The promise is kept. El El Shaddai is almighty. But there's a king above all kings that comes. The king of kings. Jesus Christ. God comes in the flesh in the form of a baby. Grows up 30 years. And he is the fulfillment of the promise. Abraham's descendants eventually leads to the perfect man, Jesus Christ. But not only was he a perfect man, he was God in the flesh. And we too can be part of Abraham's descendants by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And now why would we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ, you think? There's so many other religions out there. There's so many different beliefs. And I come telling you an exclusive way to heaven. Jesus Christ alone. Who is this man? What has he done? He is the fulfillment of the promise and he is everything we could not be. He is perfect. We are not. He is God. We are not. And on that cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ paid for our sins. So sins are our rebellion against God, but we are also cursed by sin that at birth we are cursed. And the Bible says Jesus Christ became a curse for us. And he took upon his flesh our guilt and our rebellion and he dealt with it that the world could be blessed, that you could be blessed, that you could be saved. There is no other name under heaven that we can be saved. This is the only way. And this is not a religious statement. When I talk about the cross, that's a historical event 2,000 years ago that happened. And God is inviting us into this story. He's inviting us that by faith you enter into the story. That's why circumcision is null. You do not need to be circumcised to be a Christian. Because that would be kind of weird. You'd have to check, and I'm not sure how that process would work out. But you don't need to do that. It is by faith alone. By faith alone in what Jesus has done. The entire story of the Bible is what God has done, not what you can do. Because at that point where Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise, there are people still who say, you need to be circumcised, man. You cannot be part of this family unless you have the mark. If you don't have the mark, get out. But Jesus says, I bore the mark. I took the pain. I took your suffering. Come to me, put your faith in me, and you will be saved. Circumcision does not apply today. If, it, if you have been circumcised, it doesn't matter. If you haven't, it doesn't matter. By faith alone. We read in Galatians, a book in the New Testament, chapter 6, verse 15. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Galatians 5, verse 6. For when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. The physical transformation means nothing. It is faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You are transformed by your faith in Jesus. If you are a Christian here, and you sit here as a Christian, you should not be the same as what you were five years ago because you're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus in every way. You cannot say you are a believer and hate your brother. You cannot be a Christian and commit. I got to be careful here. If you place your faith in Jesus, you're saved. But if that has not radically transformed your life, you need to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith at all. One of the first signs that you are a believer is that you have a desire to read the Word of God. If you haven't picked that up for a while, go to God, examine your heart, see if you are. I'm not passing judgment, but I don't want to say that people are Christians when they're not. And if you're new to the faith or you're considering the faith, all you have to do is believe in what Jesus has done. Full stop. And it transforms you. The Bible says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the Greek word for transformed is where we get the word metamorphosis. And what are things that metamorphosize? Butterfly. That, that was not a good butterfly. <laughs> but thank you for entertaining that. Butterfly. So you think of a butterfly. You know, the butterfly was a caterpillar. And you look at a, ca- you look at a butterfly and you think it's always been like that. But no... It was transformed at one point. It became a cocoon. And I, I read recently that in, within the cocoon, like what's going on with, with the, the thing inside? Like what happened to the caterpillar? It actually turns into like a liquid. It just, if you were to cut that, that cocoon open at that time, it would just be soup. It would just be a messy soup. I don't, I don't recommend you ever do that. But that's what would happen. It, it dies. It is dead and it is a goop and it is transforming. But there's... The DNA, God's amazing creation, is in that cocoon and is going to transform that, metamorphosize that into a butterfly. And so that's what, what's, that's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus. It's being born again. You are different. And I'm not saying you don't struggle, but you don't embrace your sin and have no heartbreak if you say you cheat on your wife or you steal and you have no, your heart doesn't skip a beat. There's something wrong there, that our heart beats with the goodness, the love of Jesus, that if you believe in God, if you truly believe in God, your life will be transformed. And now we live this life together. We don't do it alone. This is where we ask people to say, hey, how's my marriage doing? Hey, what do you think about this? And we keep each other accountable because we can't do this alone. But the beauty is we walk with El Shaddai. That if you are a Christian, you're saved. And he holds you invincibly by his love. And you cannot lose that. You cannot lose that. And so our trust is in what he has done and in who he is. And as we follow El Shaddai, it changes everything. Everything we do is for him. Everything we do is about him and by him and through his strength alone. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I am deeply humbled to be able to open up your word and begin to even understand it. And I thank you, God, that it's not up to me. 
It is not up to the Northern Collective. It's not up to our ministries. It is up to you. And you said it is done. It is finished. You are El Shaddai. You are God Almighty. Who else would we go to? God, humble, humble us deeply. Where we have questions, help us to seek clearly and humbly that you, God, you would reign, not us, and we would just point people to you in every way, in every matter, that you would be glorified. Amen.